afraid of the dark, darling? Have you ever been? What about being out in the dark woods by yourself at night? Would you be very afraid? What if I told you that was where you could find the one thing that you have always wanted the very most to find? Would you go out there and look for it? What if you had to be blindfolded and naked and sober with nothing but your conviction to survive? even on the night of Samhain, when it is known that the spirits can rise with no ruling deity to control them. We can all too easily dismiss and diminish the terror of these things from our comfortable, electric, and satellite-driven world. But in the very real olden days, initiation rites very much involved this exact type of thing. Back before humiliation and subjugation and manipulation became the motivation for initiation, people actually did things to help each other become better and stronger people. So transcending the child mind ego and dominating the fear impulse was critical to the spiritual temperance that was required for individuals to be considered an adult. Perhaps there was an understanding once upon a time, that strong individuals made for a stronger collective, and so we organized ourselves to have set times of ritualized terror, where we would go out away from the safety of our group to reconnect with our innate and intuitive trust, and maybe we find, out there in the dark, that the scariest monsters are those we hide from within. Rites of passage or initiation rites they may be called, but what mattered the most is that they would challenge and scare you. You had to do it alone, and you would not be the same person when you came back. I believe the impulse to seek out these hidden fears and desires still exist deep within us, but perhaps we have become too obsessed with safety and appearance to find the appeal of probing down into our dark shadows. But no matter how successful we are or how many of our goals we reach, have you not noticed the feeling that there is something missing? Or something is there, calling to us from out there in the dark, drawing our attention down into the parts of ourselves that we do not yet know and will be afraid of until we do? Perhaps you feel it as a distraction, a longing for a place that you've never been to that you still somehow miss, a shadow that persists even after all the light is gone, a sound in the silence that we struggle to hear, something that is calling to us from the darkest parts of our outer and inner worlds that is both terrifying and intriguingly necessary to discover. Maybe this is what some ghosts are, Spirit guides that will lure us and protect us as we venture into our shadow quest. And maybe this is what compels some people to do things that seem entirely out of character. And I saw this for myself the night that Marcus Regal disappeared. We had all gathered at his house for his October 23rd birthday. He had moved to a large vineyard in an exclusive area of the South Okanagan, and it was myself, his sister, and four of his friends from school. They were all very similar to Marcus in character and type. 
physically strong, articulate, and focused, with an enviable level of success and acquisition amongst them all. They were goal-setters and high achievers, and just to show you how alike they all were, they all arrived that night in red convertible sports cars, very much like the one that Marcus had driven me in from the airport. So there were five of these gorgeous, red, growling heartbreakers lining the driveway to the hard, modernist house as we took supper together on the veranda. It looked great. They looked great. The wine was great. The food was beautiful and delicious. And I was, for myself, in awe of the obvious prestige and money I was surrounded with as a red sun lowered itself over the vineyard and a soft fog grew up from the valley below. Five friends and one sibling reflected on how long they had known each other, their endless list of admirable achievements, and the speed and ease with which they had all become so rich and successful. They shared in words of mutual respect and affection, good-natured rousing and healthy laughter, esteem and trust, so no one understood why Marcus was so quiet and suddenly stood up without a word and walked off the veranda towards the trees. Hey, Marcus, where are you going? Some other teases and taunts. But he just kept walking. It was his house, he was the host, so maybe he had some surprise for us or had to check something with the property, but doesn't he have someone to do that for him? Maybe he was going over to the vineyard, but no. He continued straight down into the darkness of the ravine. His dark hair and clothes quickly lost against the shadows of the trees in the encroaching night, and in that instant... He completely disappeared. We took turns calling his name, his friends doing so in their usual custom of loudest, first, and fastest, but in breathing our apprehension in the silence that followed. He never reappeared. The house on the hill had been designed to be seen, so it was exceptionally well lit from within but the hills around were still anciently dark, and it felt like we were somewhat stranded on the veranda gazing out into the darkness, like we were clinging to a star in the deep emptiness of space, wondering where and why our strong and vital friend would walk away from everything he had. The next morning a search was called, and despite the gloomy weather, the house was basically on fire with activity. Marcus's friends each took charge of the disappearance in their own take-charge kind of way, mostly placing a thousand calls telling people to make it happen. And so a police team arrived, assisted by local volunteers and hunting dogs, and they put the whole area to an extensive and exhaustive search. But no trace of Marcus was ever found. Five days passed in fading hope that we would ever find him again, and most of the locals simply returned to their homes. So I was alone on the veranda on the morning of the sixth day, drinking coffee at dawn in my best outfit so far, 
when out from under the white dark mist of the woods a small boy appeared crawling up from his knees to stand staring and confused and vacant towards the house it was clear he had been through a terrible ordeal as his skin was desperately pale clammy cold damp and his left ankle was bright blue with bruising on either side of his head he had two large red swellings as though he had been hit with something about an inch in diameter but the effect of these in their placement looked as though small antlers or horns were trying to erupt from his temples. We asked his name, and the boy whispered to the mist before he fainted with the effort of his reply. We quickly wrapped him up and brought him inside, my blood frozen with the shock of all that was happening. The detective loudly asserted that he had heard the boy say his name was Oscar, and though no missing person files matched either that name or his age and description, and no trace of him had been seen despite the extensive searches of the last five days, the child was quickly adopted by an Albanian couple who worked in the vineyard and christened with the name Oscar Dren. I've never heard anything more about him. And I often wonder how he is. Because I have never said this to anyone else before. But I swear on my life I heard that child say his name was Marcus. We all of us have hidden fears. The things we often express as obsessions, acquisitions, competitions, collections, projections, distractions. But when that Mars energy is strong, we may feel more compelled to face what we want and track it down, hunt it down and conquer, chase, attack and kill, slay the beast, burn and exact revenge on anything that makes us feel weak or afraid. But too often we are externalizing our feelings as an enemy, an opposing force that we have to fight. And we lose sight of the fact that all of this exists within our own body. Our emotions are nerve impulses that communicate with our brains. Fear is not an enemy. Fear is a response to stimulus. So what is your fear trying to tell you? In my own experience, I learned that fear and intuition are the exact same nerve signals. The only difference between them was my level of trust. So when I came to understand that my fear was valid, because it was my spirit, my psyche, my shadow, inner, opposite person communicating need or asking me for acknowledgement and attention, I no longer had to respond in fear, but in compassion. And so our power returns. What is it that the hunter hunts, darling? The answer is their self. But if we keep chasing game while running from what is hunting us, you can well bet that sooner or later 
it will catch up with us. Take, for example, the story from the beautifully forested backcountry of the Miramichi, famous for its salmon. Four male friends had decided to meet up in a rented cabin for a long-overdue reunion party. It was something of an anti-stag, as two of them had recently been divorced and one had a birthday coming up, but you know, any reason would do. For despite growing up together and being as close as a band of brothers, they had not all been together in person for well over three years. Hugs and laughs were hugged and laughed as they settled into the cabin before heading out to a sawmill-themed restaurant several kilometers down the road. The cabin was on an old logging road from the last century that wended down to the highway, which in such a remote and thickly wooded area was little more than two lanes wide. It was still very well maintained and in good condition, with reflected guardrails and strips on the sharp shoulders, which is important because it was very dark that night, and they were traveling in a Mercedes that would not be pleased by any sort of rough or potholed terrain. Once again, these were men of distinction. The driver was an Olympic biathlete known for absolute precision in his marksmanship. Even under extreme physical and mental stress, he could maintain an exceptionally focused and steady hand. In the passenger seat was a personal trainer and fitness instructor who also worked as a stock trader with a reputation for playing a long and almost counterintuitive strategy in his investments, demonstrating a patience and acuity that is so rare in that line of work. In the back seat behind him was a professional wildlife photographer known for getting incredible captures, and beside him on the driver's side was a plastic surgeon who was a specialist in a self-developed implant procedure where flexible plastic rods would enable bits of mail that had lost their direction to resume their endless quest for reception. And we aren't talking about dead letters, darling. So being a company of such reputable men known for their accuracy in both physical and technical skill, you can see how it is a very curious thing indeed that none of them could agree on what happened when that black Mercedes went off the road that night and flipped. The trainer in the front passenger seat said that a deer had jumped out of the woods and struck the car on his side, but no one else saw this, and there were no marks on the car, no blood, no desperately wounded, dying animal. The photographer on the rear passenger side said that he had heard a loud bang coming from the trunk which he was convinced was the back tire blowing out, and that caused them to veer and swerve and crash, but all of the tires were intact. The surgeon said that the car had drifted too close to the guardrail on the last bend and they overcorrected and lost control, but there was no guardrail on the last bend and the highway was clear of ice and snow in a warm week in November with temps well above zero. The driver's story was the strangest, and one that he simply refused to tell, unable to know for himself if it could possibly be true, because out from under the darkness of the night he saw a man emerge from the black shadows of the trees with what looked like horns on his head 
and compelled by an unknowable combination of absolute terror-informed rage, he turned the car straight for him and slammed on the gas. It was a strange grace indeed that the car somehow flipped and slid to a stop, or all four of those men would have been headlong into the trees in a very different fate. He had no idea what possessed him. He just kept repeating to the others that he couldn't remember. Stranger still that they all survived was that the accident was witnessed by a passing police officer traveling in the opposite direction. But even he was at a loss to explain what had happened, and he saw it happen. The officer stood in disbelief of these seemingly unaffected men giving equally inaccurate, unbelievable, and conflicting accounts in the unstable dissonance that occurs when death travels so close. And just in case you are wondering, blood alcohol was negative, the car was recently serviced and in excellent condition, the night was clear and with a surprisingly low humidity for northern New Brunswick, and with no significant visible injuries among the men involved, it was all wrapped up pretty quickly, telling them how lucky they were and setting them back out to resume their lives the same way that they had come. No visible injuries, maybe, but the accident changed everyone. Within months, the famously non-committal personal trainer got married, had a baby, and became a conservation officer. The wildlife photographer got divorced and literally started running and moved to an off-the-grid cabin along the Miramichi to work as a seasonal landscaper for a number of resort properties and rustic hotels in the area, but never again picked up his camera. The generally jovial and practical-joking plastic surgeon came out as transgender and closed their practice and moved to a military hospital in Germany where she thrived in a reputation of being unnecessarily meticulous and pedantic. Even the veteran cop was affected, and left a salty and cynical attitude to become a very gentle, soft-spoken social worker, providing non-combat trauma therapy to people without health insurance and feeding the homeless on his days off. The driver is the most interesting to me, because out of all of them so affected by the crash, he was the one who remained the most like his pre-trauma self. He stayed with his same partner, in his same house, with his same training routines and schedules and performance outcomes. But the confusion and fear that he was harboring below the surface began festering into an insidious sense of guilt and responsibility for what had happened. The impossibly antlered figure and his inexplainable actions were in constant conflict with what he could understand of himself to be true, and this created a destabilizing level of doubt within himself that made him feel cavernous and hollow. What he had done was not rational. So where did that come from, and how could it be true? Nightmares were common sudden pops of sound and drops in air pressure that would make his temples pound, and his daily routines became highly ritualized and restrictive. 
His thoughts were continuously distracted by trying to decode the events of that night. He became a person who was haunted by himself. But could you really blame him? Because if it wasn't the crash that broke him, it was the events of the next morning that he has never spoken of to anyone else. For after walking off the veranda in the white dark fog of the morning to put his bag into the car, he opened the trunk to find there was a dead deer in there, its neck tipped awkwardly back, dark eyes searching for the sun, and temples bleeding from where the horns had been removed. Your guess is as good as mine as to how it got there. There is a lot of Mars energy around this full moon in Aries, so it is fully reasonable for us to feel emboldened and directed towards getting what we want in life. But as the sun transitions into Scorpio for the rest of the month, this will likely lead us down into exploring our deeper wants and desires. In pre-Cartesian medicine, the body was divided into segments associated with each sign of the zodiac. Aries, being the beginning of spring, rules the head. And so we are crowned at birth as we emerge in spring, and we travel down bit by bit until we arrive at our fishy feet in Pisces. Much is often made of the fact that Scorpio rules the sex organs, but there is where the sacred waters of life are mixed. And so much of this next month with an Aries full moon and strong Mars and the sun in Scorpio may bring a toss-up between heads or tails. But perhaps it is worth it to explore how we are both at all times. It is only since Descartes that there has been a separation between the mind and body, and this was done on purpose to argue that dissection and autopsy was an ethical thing to do. Descartes argued that the soul left the body at the point of death, l'esprit, and so the body was only a functional mass of tissue used by the soul until it expired, and therefore it did not affect the soul to cut the body or to desecrate, desacrify the body as had been believed before. There was a very strong belief in a number of cultures at varying points throughout history that physical and spiritual purity were closely aligned. And so traveling into the afterlife was dependent on having an intact and ritualized corpse, not unlike embalming and post-mortem makeup of today. But in becoming cadavers for scientific research for 300 years, rather than the fetishized connection to the life force that we once were, we have traveled from Cartesian separation to the point in neuroscience where we are rediscovering the central nervous system as an absolute mind-body unification. So is it not fair to wonder that so much of our fear is caused by keeping our mind and body apart? 
Did we not live in a society that praised the hyper-masculine, conquer-at-all-costs, mind-over-matter warrior archetype? Something that broke both our men and women and everyone else in between, only to find that the dark, natural, sentient, and somatic energy is always calling us back? Wise women have said that the only guarantees in life are change and death. It makes sense to me with my deeply encoded trust issues that death be my welcome companion, because it is the only relationship I can absolutely trust will be coming to pick me up on time. But as much as death is an important thing to keep in mind, particularly at this time of year when the Gaelic tradition the year is ending and the fertility of the earth dies and is entombed on Hallow's Eve, enabling the dead and demonic to rise and wander before the horned god ascends the throne in the white, dark sunrise of the next morning. Let us not forget, darling, that all of our interactions with death will occur while we live. And so to say we refuse to live in fear, I just have to ask, why not? Your mind and your body are not separate, darling. Denying your fear is denying part of yourself. It is your shadow. So the more you run from it, the longer it will chase you. We can dress up in our costumes and masks and be as terrifying as we can muster. We can scare away the demons and monsters and bitches and haters that are out there to get us. But to take our masks off and to be laid bare and vulnerable, naked, blindfolded, wandering out into the deep dark woods of our psyche alone, so often that is the most terrifying thing for us to do. But to admit that we are scared is to call our power back to us. Are they ghosts or are they guides, darling? Trust your spirit. Listen for how it is trying to talk to you and consider how your fear is a path to your power. This will become stronger after the 6th to the 18th when guardian spirits Pluto, Saturn, and Jupiter will align you with your path out of the woods. And just as we felt in August, there may be a struggle for dominance between opposing forces, but the humanitarian energy of Aquarius will be pulling us across the dark waters of Scorpio into the safe harbors of a sturdy and earthy landing in the next full moon in Taurus, so I send my prayers for your peace and safety until I can meet you there. Not be afraid, darling. But fear you absolutely must. written and recorded on Treaty 6 territory, and our theme music is by Nano Uribe. <laughs> <laughs>